you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends, the Chris Voss Show, the family that loves you but doesn't judge you, at least on as harsh as your mother-in-law, the show that billionaires, CEOs, entrepreneurs, newsmakers, and the hottest new authors come on to talk about their wares and all the things they think, and they're going to make you smarter. And everyone knows when you're smarter, you're sexier. Who doesn't want to be sexier? Is there anybody in the audience that are like, no, I want to be uglier? No, I'm just kidding. People don't do that. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, we appreciate you guys coming to the show. As always, 15 years. Uh, there are three podcasts a weekday, 15 podcasts a week coming at you. If you're not listening to every single one, there will be a test on Saturdays, boys and girls. Uh, so uh, it will there will be a test, and if you fail... Uh, I don't know what happens. Uh, you can just, you know, whatever. Go back and listen to them. You got to have something to do on Sunday. It's kind of a boring day. Anyways, we have, a, a, once again, an amazing guest and author on the show. A uh, very touching memoir that I think is going to be moving for you and inspiring for you and uh, take you to a new level. Uh, we have a gentleman on the show. He's the author of the latest book called A Cup of Tea on the Commode, My Multitasking Adventures of Caring for Mom, and how I survived to tell the tale came out May fourteenth, twenty twenty three. Mark Stephen Poro is on the show with us today. He's going to be talking to him about this book and some of his insights. And I think you're going to love this show. Uh, or you're going to love the show. Or you're going to love the story, or love both. And if you don't, or else, <laughs> yeah, really. There you go. Uh, Mark is a new. Jersey native, and uh, he earned an industrial design degree from the Ohio State University. After years of agency work, his love of acting led him to Hollywood, where he appeared in dozens of television, film, and stage productions. He also spent uh, his 28 years in Tinseltown entrepreneuring. He started five nonprofit companies, but hold the applause. None of them were intended to be. He now lives in a, I think I know what that's about. Uh, he now lives in the south of France. But hold your pity, he, <laughs> he is of sound mind and body and chose to suffer in the heart of wine country where the locals insist his French isn't so bad. That's not what they say behind his back. I'm just kidding. French can be rude. Uh, and at least that's what he thinks they're saying. Uh, exactly. See, well, I preempted that, didn't I? Uh, Mark is an award-winning designer, writer, director. <laughs> You dirty Americans. Uh, anyway, French people don't say that, I'm sure. Uh, he's written, no, they don't. Uh, he's written lots of jokes, several screenplays, and one award-winning short film. A Cup of Tea on the Commode is a sad, sweet, and funny debut memoir that chronicles his multitasking adventures of filing his, uh, filling his mother's last years with love, laughter, and joy. Though not always successful, he came pretty damn close. Welcome to the show, Mark. How are you? Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. All the way from France. All the way from France. And we should tease out so we can get people to, you know, turn off the audio on the podcast and come to YouTube and watch. You're sitting in your, uh, your abode there in France, and I believe it's, it's uh, fairly old. It was built in the 16th century. I've been told it was built around 1540. 
So wow. uh, King Louis the Thirteenth uh, time period and King Louis the Fourteenth apparently actually came to this village. Wow. Um, I wasn't here then, so I can't be sure. <laughs> and we have no video evidence, but I'm going to take their word for it because it's a, it's a, it, it, it helps. I thought. Oh I yeah, think I saw him. Was here. I think I saw him post about it on his TikTok account. Yeah. There's some video over there. Yeah. He's a, he's a crazy guy. Was and still is. There you go. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. It's got a huge arcing a brick uh, sort of, um, uh, I don't want to call it medieval, but I guess it would be, you know, kind of Francis. High ceilings, low floors, and uh, and a lot of history. It, it's, it's just very cool. Even uh, my, I have a cobblestone street outside. And oh, wow. if you just think about all the people that walked up and down, you know, thousands of years, it's, it's just very cool. Yeah, that, it's always interesting to me, these older places, the, you, you kind of get a feel of the people that pass through them. It, it feels, uh, there's a, a weird sort of, I don't know, deja vu or something that I was getting. energy or something, yeah. Yeah, energy or something. I've had but, a couple of spiritual guys come into this place with their uh, divining rods or just their uh, sixth sense, and they've said, all good vibes here. So there were Oh, that's the, good. You know. Yeah. It wasn't like a torture chamber for other crazy stuff right. that had been in medieval times. But there were other places. The Knights Templar did come here and slaughter a lot of people. Oh, wow. Um, uh, yeah. Again, that was before my time. So There you go. Uh, well, so you're not responsible for it legally then, evidently, according to right. attorneys. So we, we're good there. Uh, so uh, tell us about this book. What motivated you want to write this book? Um, well, in uh, 2011, uh, nine days after my mom's uh, 89th birthday, she just kind of gave up on life. It, she was very unhappy, and she just will. It, it seemed like she just willed herself to die. And my brother called me and said he put her to bed, and uh, the doctor cut off all meds and um, and food, and hospice was called. And I kind of freaked out because 14 years earlier, hospice was called uh, for my dad, and two days later, he died. So yeah. um, mom had six kids, and uh, all of us came to uh, – I flew in. I was living in L.A. at the time, and so I flew in, and we kind of just sat around a bed uh, waiting. Um, and then she kind of snapped out of it. It was a number mm -hmm. of without any food or anything she snapped out of it and i think she was really i, I call it in the book a silent scream for help I, I, hmm. she wanted more love uh we had some people in the house that apparently weren't uh doing such a great job uh so uh, her, all her kids came back and 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 filled the house again with love and she woke up and um so i decided to uh kind of take over because hmm. uh I wanted my mother's last years to be uh, happy, and she deserved better. And so I didn't move back right away. I stayed with her for a few months, mm -hmm. uh, and then hospice stayed on for a mm -hmm. while. And then uh, later in the year, I, uh, I picked up and uh, moved back. So I moved back into my childhood home at 55 to become a first-time parent to an 89-year-old lady. Wow. Well, wow. you and I, you and I, and you were a bachelor. This is one of the things that gave you the freedom to be able to do this, right? Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I mean, I had a, a business in LA and I was uh, uh, also an actor, mm -hmm. uh, but I was kind of aging out of acting. So the acting career was pretty, uh, getting pretty slow. And my business actually was starting to uh, uh, peter out. So mm -hmm. um, I was able to uh, fly back and forth to take care of the business every few months. Mm -hmm. I was able to do a lot of it remotely. And, um, uh, so 
24-7 care is what I took over. So that was my, my new job. And we had a blast. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, sadness in the, um, in the book because uh, it doesn't end well. <laughs> but it was three and a half years uh, that she uh, oh, wow. lived on. And we had a, we had a great time. Uh, mm-hmm. She was a very funny lady. And uh, I inherited some of that humor from uh, both of my parents. Hmm. And, and we had, uh, you know, my, my goal was to make her laugh at least once every day. And a lot of times <laughs> she made me laugh. So it, it, was, it was pretty cool. A beautiful story. I was recently watching the the Netflix show "Live to One Hundred: Secrets of the Blue Zones," and they talked about one of the one of the zones that uh, they feature in the movies uh, is is that one of the reasons that a certain blue zone is they identified these people were living to be centuri- centurions, hundred years old, mm-hmm. was they had an intact social system where they didn't throw people away into hospice care. I mean, there's a time where sometimes you need that medical stuff, Um, but they didn't, they didn't, you know, people weren't going into retirement and loneliness, right? They were, they still had family surrounded them. They had support surrounded. In fact, the the family grew in tight around them and the older they Mm -hmm. got. And they've, you know, there was a study they cited too, that if you, if you put someone in a hospice care or put them in a retirement, unless they really find some way to activate and 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 do some things, they die fairly quickly. Yep. And like you mentioned, my father never wanted to go into hospice care. He hated doctors. Uh, but after a series of, of small strokes and heart attacks and issues, uh, after one final surgery, uh, he had to go into hospice care just so that he could you know, recover. And it was going to be probably for two weeks to a month uh at 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 uh, the most optimum uh optimist point but he was gone in two days he was so unhappy and i think he just gave up because he was like he wasn't home he was very upset about it and yeah. and he just he just he was gone within uh, pretty much 24 48 hours and i think he I, I think he was so heartbroken not to be home with his wife yep. and stuff and so this is really important uh, for the longevity of our elders and and for too long in this country we throw people away into into hospice care and uh so you take over you 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 have the freedom of a bachelor to take care of your mom you realize the importance of her life and spending time with her and you become a hospice uh, caregiver mm-hmm. uh, in a way yeah is that correct well what i did is when hospice was there um uh, my younger sister and I stayed uh, pretty much 24-7 with mom and hospice. When they were there, we we were really good students. We wanted to learn as much as we could because mm-hmm. I didn't know if I was going to take over uh, 24-7 at that point. But I wanted to learn and and do as much as we could for mom while she was there because she was doing so well because we were present. So I said, mm-hmm. well, Nobody's going to give her more TLC than her own kids. Yeah. So uh, we jumped in and we learned, and then uh, we shared those tips and tricks with our uh, two of my other siblings. And uh, so we always had someone there. And when I had to go back to California for business, my sister, who also lived in um, L.A., or not L.A., Orange County, actually, but she would fly in, so she would replace me. So it would always be one of her children on duty. Uh, and that, that made a, a big difference. Um yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, the hospice, I mean, the hospice nurses were actually were, were lovely, mm-hmm. uh, but you have quite a variety uh, uh, coming every day. You don't have the same one. And there was a directive from the, the main hospice nurse, you know, no food, 
um, uh, I guess a little bit of water and stuff, but no food because the doctor said no food. She wants to go, let her go. And so uh, we follow that directive. And then uh, one hospice nurse came in a couple of weeks later and we, we got to a point where we knew a couple were breaking the rules. So we'd meet him at the front door and have them read the directive from their boss. Mm-hmm. And this lady said, yes, that's fine. And she walked right into my mother's room. My mother was, her eyes were closed most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, she walks in, my mom, ma- ma- and the lady leans in and says, Genevieve, are you hungry? And my mother's eyes shot open for the first time <laughs> in weeks. And then this lady accused us of starving our mother to death. Oh, wow. And she went yeah. nuts with this. And so we, we, uh, it, was, it was really uh, quite interesting. So we got her to call her supervisor. We said, no, we're not doing This is what we've been told. We were following the rules. So this lady broke the rules. She called her supervisor. Her supervisor said, leave. You broke the rules. Get out. Wow. Now I'm thinking, is this a possibility that hospice was wrong? And we are, in fact, starving our mother to death. So I go into her room, just the, the guilt-ridden, and I said, Mom, and she opens her eyes. I said, are you hungry? And she, she nodded. And I said, well, what do you want? She goes, what do you got? Now, these are the first <laughs> words in weeks. And I said, anything you want. And at this point, it's March, winter. Uh-huh. Yeah. And she says, how about some pumpkin pie? Said, well, it's not really pumpkin pie season, but let me see. So I went out in the living room, and I asked my older brother, uh, he lived locally, so he kind of knew where to I said, see if you can find some pumpkin pies. And he came back within a half hour with two fresh pumpkin pies. There you go. And this woman just devoured these things. Again, she hasn't eaten in weeks. She, so she ate pumpkin pie. And then she moved on to uh, sherbet. She was a big mm. sherbet fan. Eight bowls of sherbet a day. That's all she had. All really? she wanted was sherbet. And then after that, we got her to switch to something a little better, which was oatmeal, but it was still sugary oatmeal. So she had eight (laughs) bowls of oatmeal a day, but she was back. She was sharp. She was awake. She was happy to be alive. And we realized that she's probably riding the biggest sugar high, continuous sugar high in the world. That's how I want to go out. She was a type two diabetic, but she was doing great. And off, off at that point, off all meds. She was probably on like a dozen meds. And the doctor said, no meds. We didn't add any more meds. She was just on the sugar high and doing mm-hmm. great. And then eventually we were able to sneak in some real food. There and then go. she went back to a normal diet once I started cooking all her meals and stuff for her. So uh, we kept the diet pretty healthy after that. And then sherbet for dessert. There you go. Um, it's hard to become a caretaker uh, and, and do it for a long period of time. There's a mental toll that it takes yeah. on you. How did you yeah. uh, deal with that? Well, uh, when... When my sister and I were learning from hospice, um, uh, while hospice was there, we we took breaks every day. We went out for walks and mm-hmm. we walked around our old neighborhood, which was nice to rediscover our, our, our town. It was a small town in northern New Jersey. Uh, Ridgewood was a, just a lovely village. And um, uh, but when I took over, I figured eh, I can handle this. This is you know I'm a guy. I can do it. Everything's fine. And but it creeps up on you. Yeah. Um, there was a few times where I snapped at my mom and I'm not proud of those moments. And there, um, and she hated swearing. And, uh, uh, one night again, I got a little angry when, cause she could be, she could be a tough cookie. She was very uh-huh. stubborn and, um, and, and she wouldn't eat this one night. So I got very angry and I swore uh-huh. and I knew it upset her. And I said, I'm sorry. I, 
mom, I'm sorry for swearing, but I said, this parenting thing is really tough. And she had six kids. And she said, yeah, I guess, but I never swore. And I said, oh, you're right. You're wow. right. So I had to be very careful. But she didn't. She never, when she got mad, she said things like nincompoop or I'm <laughs> fed up. Or she actually said fudgy wudgy one night in front of my friends. Oh, yeah, and they right thought she was here. kidding. And I said, no, that's my mom. Yeah, fudgy yeah. wudgy. I got to remember but, that one. Here's and my dad one. didn't swear either, but he seemed to, I think, um, food came to mind with him. He'd say things like chowder head, um, <laughs> you're full of soup. That was a big one. And get the ham out of here. That was no. as bad as it got with there these guys. Know. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I was, I guess, the black sheep of the family with letting those swear There you go. So give us a kind of an arcing overview of, of what you what you found. What did you experience in, in spending quality time with your mom and uh, learning more about her? And, and uh, give us an overarching of it all. Okay. Well, first, I think it's, it's rare for a son to take over these duties. It usually yeah. falls on the, uh, the daughter. Um, I have three sisters and, and two older brothers, uh, but I had... Uh, well, certainly the desire to do it, but I was also uh, able to do it since I had no children mm -hmm. and um, I, I could do it. So I made a choice. I said, listen, my mom and I had also a very different relationship, I think with my dad also. I think I was very curious as a kid. And then um, I asked them questions and got them. They were both, you know, they were uh, depression kids. So mm -hmm. they held on to their family secrets and didn't talk about feelings and any of this stuff. I got both of them to open up to me over the years. Oh. And uh, it was pretty cool. So I had a good bond with both of them. And um, so I guess the first thing is you're, you're seeing your mother naked for the first time. I mean, I took over everything. So uh, I had to give her sponge baths. I gave her sponge baths at least twice a day. You're changing diapers. You're getting peed on by your mother. I mean, these are some adjustments you have to uh, have to make. So it was it was very uh, uh, tough at first, but I had a job to do. I said, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the caregiver, so mm -hmm. I have to get over it and get on with it. So I would deal with my emotions and stuff outside of the room. Mm -hmm. uh, with her, I wanted to be a professional, certainly with some you know, love and care, but um, uh, I, I didn't want that awkwardness to make her feel awkward. And she there was, go. she was good. She was okay with it. There you go. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, dealing with adult uh, issues and, and everything they do. I have a sister who has MS and she's, I got to mention now she's in the, she's in a care center. Um, but I know that, you know, my mom is always saying to me, and I, I guess she has some insurance to take care of this, but she always says, I want to die in my home. I want to, I want to be in my home. I don't want to be in a hospital. I don't want to be in a, in a, you know, hospice care. Uh, and evidently she has the insurance to back it up. Um, but that's a big deal for her. And I know it was a, I, my grandmother died in her home. Uh, the, I know my, unfortunately no one was there. And there might have been a chance we could have gotten her some care, but she was alone. Um, and then uh, my grandfather technically died in his home. Um, and, and, and I think there's something valuable there uh, where people, you know, in their last few years of their life, being in their home, the place they've called home. And it sounds like your, your mom's home was the original home for your family. Yeah. So that's probably even more important as well. Yeah, I, uh, both of my parents died in their bed. Uh, I was mm -hmm. with both of them, uh, mm -hmm. with different siblings, but I was with both of them when they took their last breath. And it's, uh, it's surreal, but uh, it was uh, uh, beautiful. 
to watch that transition and, and to know that they knew that uh, we were there yeah. um, to help them through it. And um, um, yeah, I, I, it, both, both of them died with very little pain. I mean, mm -hmm. after a while, I mean, with mom, it was a long process. My, my dad went pretty quick, like, like your dad. Uh, once hospice was called, he, 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 two days later, he was gone. Oh. Uh, but he was pretty sharp to the end. My mother seemed to want to go a few weeks before. So she mm -hmm. stopped communicating. Uh, she would respond to touch and stuff. But uh, I don't think she spoke again. She whispered, um, uh, I love you to me, I think, a day before she passed, which was nice. Wow. So she still knew I was there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but uh, yeah, I think that that was that was definitely the way to go. I, she was Irish, so I played some Irish music, you know, for five days. Uh, I was with her like five days straight through uh, until she passed. So we played uh, uh, Irish music the whole time, which still makes me cry. And um, mm -hmm. uh, I gave her some. She loved coffee ice cream, so I gave her some coffee ice cream a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, she said she wanted some of that. So. Um, yeah, it's 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 cool. My dad was telling jokes to the end. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Mom had a foot. It was strange because I would usually go out to L.A. for one week. I called it Hell Week. I'd go out and work crazy hours in my business. I had a snack food company called Grandpa Poe's Originals, and mm -hmm. it was something my uh, a snack food my dad invented when we were kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, to honor him, uh, my brother and I started this business, and and uh, we were in the stores in 1998 and went nationwide. So it was doing very well for a while. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it, it it evolved into a one man operation, and I was able to design all the uh, equipment. I built the factory where I I could handle this on my own. So I would go for mm -hmm. Hell Week and be able to make a few months worth of uh, product. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, but the last time I was there, I was there for two weeks. And when I came back, my mother's demeanor completely changed. So I knew mm -hmm. the end was coming. But she had her right foot kept tapping. And at this point, um, I had a, a, a caregiver who, who filled in for me because I had some uh, medical issues because of the stress. Um, uh, so she filled in to do the heavy work. So she was there as well. Mm -hmm. And we just got a kick out of it because mom was not nothing up here, but the foot just kept <laughs> tapping. And we're, we're like, is, is this, she's tapping to a song that nobody else hears? Is the mm -hmm. heavenly choir calling or was it just to make us laugh? And, and it could have been all those things, but it certainly huh. entertained us. We just cracked up, you know, huh. when you should be sad about this person uh, transitioning. It was like, oh, my God, what's going on with that foot? <laughs> and it might have been her way of just saying, hey. This is okay. I want you to smile, and, and I'm going to be fine. So you should be. There fine. you go. I think there are other reasons people uh, pass away pretty quickly in in a hospice care home. Is they're not in their home. I think that makes a huge yep. difference too. Yeah. Yep. I think yeah, it makes yeah, yeah. a huge difference. And my mom, it's like really important. I I, I think I've had to swear on like ten Bibles that she will, uh, uh, if if everything is optimal, she'll be able to pass away in her home. And I believe that she should. Yeah. Um. She loves her home. She's had it for twenty or thirty years, and um. She has every right to do that. And I wouldn't want to die in a you know if they, if I was in a hospital and they said you're probably going to pass away, I'm like wheel me out to the front so I can die in the fresh air. I don't want yeah, to at least that. die yeah, in a yeah. hospital. Yeah. But I mean, uh, you know, sometimes you don't have a choice. But uh, I think it was great what you did, and it's very hard. I, I my um, 
not not to do a comparison uh, uh, to, to you know your family's a dog, but my um, my uh, dog of sixteen years went through hospice care with me and so for a year and a half i took care of her and she was given like three days to die she had anal sac cancer and i became her hospice care at home and she lived for actually two to three years when the doctor said it was only gonna be three days that she was gonna live wow. and yeah, it makes a big difference yeah and so i did something very similar with my with my with my pup who uh is actually like a child to me i'm like you i'm a 55 year old bachelor you're 55 when you engage with your uh, get your mom uh, care. Um, and it was hard. There was depression. There was, I probably didn't help. I was still drinking at the time. Uh, it took a soul on me. It took a soul on me health wise. It took it, my soul on me mentally wise. And I didn't realize that caregivers really need to take care of themselves. There's books on this and people you found yep. in authors. You mentioned that you had, you know, it affected your health too. Yeah. So, um, uh, I think about two and a half years in, um, I had, uh, it felt like somebody shot me in the gut hmm. and I was healthy. I mean, I ate healthy. I, um, I renovated the house. My mom slept a lot of hours during the day. So I, uh, I wanted to not only restore her dignity, but the dignity to her surroundings. So this was the house that had been in our family for over 60 years. And so I started renovating it from the base, started with the basement and moved up. Mm -hmm. So I got a lot of stress relief from banging down walls and, 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 and hauling junk out and things like that. But, mm -hmm. uh, and I built a man cave in there. I, I knew, I knew I needed some stress relief. So I had a rowing machine and I had dumbbells and things like that. So I would, I would work out and I would eat well and, Again, you think, oh, I can handle this stuff, but it, it creeps up on you. So one mm -hmm. day it felt like uh, I got shot in the stomach. And then that night I had a fever. It was June and the humidity was probably 90 or something in New Jersey. And I went to bed with pajamas, uh, a heavy blanket with a heater in the bed with me because I was freezing and it wow. was just crazy. And then the next day I woke up, it seemed like I broke the fever and I was okay. So I waited a day, then I worked out again the next day, and then it came back with a vengeance. So I oh, think wow. it ended up being like four days later, I drove myself to the emergency room. As soon as I mentioned, I got a pain in my lower left abdomen. They said, diverticulitis. You're going into CT scan right now. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know how to pronounce it at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what I had is... Um, as we get older, um, it's uh, in your colon. You start to get these uh, things like the appendix. You mm -hmm. get these little these little pockets, and uh, sometimes food or whatever will get caught in those pockets and cause discomfort. Mm -hmm. With mine, it actually punctured one of those. Oh, and it, oh it perforated, and so I was infected in my whole, I guess, midsection, and that's mm -hmm. what caused the fever. And they said it was very close because if that got into the bloodstream, I would have been dead. Yeah. yeah. So that's what the CT scan revealed. So I had to go through emergency surgery. Wow. And um, it was funny because I, I called my brother when I knew it was serious. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, who's going to take care of my mother? Because that was my motivation <laughs> at that point to get better. But then they said, you're going into surgery. And I had umbilical hernia when I was 25. And it took about a year to recover from that. So uh -huh. now I'm going 55. This is going to be ridiculous. Yeah. Actually, I was 57, I think, at the time. Uh -huh. So I called my brother and I told him what's going on. I said, this is serious. We have to find someone to replace me. And all I heard on the other side is, can we swear? <laughs> <laughs> we, okay. He said, oh, shit. 
and I, I wasn't sure if that was his predicament or mine, um, but it was a it, it was a valid response to uh, the both of ours. So uh, yeah, I went through three emergency surgeries, and uh. I asked the doctors. I said, "So why did this happen?" I said, I'm, "I'm healthy. I eat healthy. I do this. I don't drink a lot. I don't smoke." And they said, "Sometimes it's just dumb luck." Wow. And apparently, I I, I have to say it was it had to be the stress related stuff. So. Mm -hmm. um, but again, uh, knowing that I wanted to get back to work and take care of my mom, that was my motivation to get out of there. So um, the drugs were great. Um, but, uh, <laughs> my mother had a lot of visions, uh, you know, during our journey mm -hmm. early on because she had some dementia. And then later on, it was diagnosed she had some Alzheimer's. And mm -hmm. uh, on those drugs, boy, I had the same kind of visions in the hospital. So luckily, they stopped after I kicked the drugs. But um yeah, you got to take care of yourself. Uh, they, they, um, I, I did a, um, I was meeting with somebody who is the, the caregiver's caregiver. Mm -hmm. And he said that a there's probably 30% of the caregivers die before their patient does. Really? Wow. So that's how crazy it is. So you really wow. do, uh, yeah, you have to watch out and take care of yourself. Even if, even if you think you're the tough guy or the tough gal, uh, take the breaks. You do. It, it definitely wanes on you, uh, weighs on you and wanes on you. Uh, so, you know, I, I own a mortgage company for 20 years. And one of the things I would see is the transfer of wealth of where uh, uh, children would seize a, a parent's home and sometimes force them into uh, 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 hospice care, retirement homes, not for sometimes the best of purposes. Sometimes it was necessary um, because of the care that was needed for him. You know, my sister needs three three uh, uh, hospice care people to lift. She's not hospice, but it, it care center people to lift right. her and shower and yeah, bathe her. Yeah. There's just no way to do that really in a home, uh, especially for, you know, some of the assistance she needs. Um, and so that's necessary. But, you know, I, there were times where I saw just a seizing of assets really when it came down to it and throwing mom or dad into the retirement home. What, what, what are your thoughts on why it's better to do things and why you would encourage people to do things the way you guys did things as opposed to just, uh, you know, throwing, throwing them in retirement home and forgetting about them? Well, well, financial, I was very lucky because my brother was the, the financial um, planner for the family for years. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he took that all off my plate, which uh, was, I guess, a, a, a tremendous. So we didn't have to worry about it. my My parents both did pretty well. And with Michael's... Uh, 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 overseeing their uh, accounts and stuff for probably 30 or more years, uh, they, they, they were fine. So we were, we were good on that end. Mm -hmm. And everybody was uh, treated fairly. And um, so that didn't uh, enter the picture. But I think overall, we probably, it was probably uh, beneficial financially for us to, 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 to do it and not mm -hmm. pay for outside sources and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, definitely uh, uh, some of these uh, nursing homes. My mother was in, in assisted living years earlier for uh, a few years, and and I didn't know because I lived in California, but she really didn't like it, though mm -hmm. she had her own apartment, and the social life was great, and she had a dog at the time, so she was able to keep her dog, who was her, her seventh child and perhaps her favorite child. Um, uh, so I thought she was very happy there. Every time I visited, she had a good time, but she really didn't. She wanted to come home. And there so, uh, yeah. So you, 
you got what's one of the main things I'd say that that came out of this experience is you have to have empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, you should have empathy for family members and people you're close to and people you love. But boy, it, you know they are still human beings. They're going to mm-hmm. be a slower pace, and uh, sometimes she would come up with some very crazy, nonsensical <laughs> things. But uh, you, you gotta uh, you, you gotta find the joy in it and, 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 and laugh at it and and things like that. She was a shopaholic. And one day she just says, Hey, do you have socks? I said, yeah, I have socks. Where are they? I said, they're on my feet. She goes, good. Because I don't have any extras for you. I said, okay, mom, it's okay. Because she would, if I needed them, she probably would have thought she could get in a car, which she hadn't driven in probably (laughs) 10, 15 years and go out and shop and get me some socks because that's what she would do. Any excuse to go out shopping, she would do it. She was, she was a shopaholic. That was her, her main vice. There you go. I, and, and she's still mom. So she's still taking care of her son. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing I, I, I would say about rest homes and care centers and hospice care is to the, the level of care that I've seen, and my sister has been through, I think, seven different care centers. Um, level of care is uh, horrendous is the word I want to use. It's bad. Uh, the horror stories I've heard, seen, um, the, a lot of the care centers in America we used to be individually owned. And they went through this uh, corporatization where all the oh, big corporations the, yeah, bought yeah, them all. Yeah, yeah. And they have thinned out the staffs. They have, uh, which got worse over COVID, they've thinned out the services. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's crazy some of the things I've seen. Um, and, and you know, my mom regularly goes up to uh, see my sister. She's her caretaker. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, her diapers aren't changed. She's sitting in whatever uh she's slumping down in her seat she has this big giant you know expensive wheelchair she sits in it's automated and and she'll be slumping and she can't pick herself back up and pull herself back up because the ms and and like no one will check on her or sometimes they won't feed her and and so i really encourage people to do what you did where um it's uh it's just the the care can be so much better when you're overseeing what's gone on there yeah. Uh, one of, one of my friends, they, um, they put a, uh, one of those camp portable cameras in their, in the room and their father had, uh, rolled off the bed and he had dementia and he wasn't aware of anything yeah, yeah, yeah. rolled off the bed. They left him on the floor for three days and they would just come in and care for him and no one pick him up off the floor. And he laid there for three days and they caught on a camera. It was insane. Yeah, uh, the stuff they would do. Um, they had one 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 friend uh, had a mother who would who had dementia. And she's like, they come in at night and they steal my jewelry and they go through my drawers and they steal stuff. And they thought, oh, she's you know she's just in dementia. So they put a camera in there. Sure enough, <laughs> there yeah, was somebody coming in and doing that. It's crazy. So I, I think it's just uh, honorable what you guys did. You know, our parents changed our diapers and and cleaned us up and got us through this life. In fact, it, for a lot of years, life. yeah. If it wasn't, we probably wouldn't have survived either. And so I think it's honorable what you did, but also it's been so life fulfilling. Um, It's hard. It's, it's probably one of the hardest things you'll ever do. It's not hard to watch someone die slowly um, and pass slowly. It wears on you. Um, Mm -hmm. And every day you're, you know, I, with my, with my uh, puppy um, of 16 years, my child um, every day would just be like, let's get through today. 
don't know yeah. if that was your experience, but you're just like, let's get through today. Every day is a brick of gold. Let's just get to tomorrow. Cause you don't know. Cause like, yeah. like be the day and yeah. it's hard. It, it's hard to live that way. And it, and it grinds on you, but I think it's just wonderful what you did and, and putting this together in a beautiful memoir. You've got the photos of your mom and you and stuff. Uh, what have we touched on that we want to, you know, tease out to get people to order the, the book? Um, I guess the, 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 I'll tell you some of the funny things because it's not, it's not totally sad. I think there's more laughs. I have, I've had, you know, what's so cool about this. Um, not only is it, is, is a recording, let's say family history for my family. Mm-hmm. and stuff but uh old friends are coming out of woodwork especially people from high school who i haven't been in contact for 50 years hmm. people i knew from my hometown and i've been promoting this thing on facebook and youtube i've been did you know like 130 uh, one minute teasers on youtube that i've been oh. uh, uh posting for the last year and a half and um and then the blog and, and we even do the tiktok it, it's we're on all the platforms it's crazy um but people are, are, are coming out, and they, were, they would tell stories about my family that I didn't realize. I mean, my parents were very cool, and we had a very popular house in high school because they, they were fun. They were fun mm-hmm. people to be around. And so it, you know, for hearing these stories and having them share um, their own stories with their parents, and, and, and a lot of them think that, oh, this is great. But um, there was one of my friends who said, I don't think I can read this. I've been following, but I can't read it yet because my father just passed it a month mm-hmm. ago. And I said, yes, it's too soon, so wait. A week Mm -hmm. later, she says, you know, I'm going to New York, flying back to New York from L.A. I'm going to take your book with me. Mm -hmm. And she posted progress on the flight. Mm -hmm. And she said, I am laughing my butt off (laughs) on this particular chapter. And the flight attendant's begging me to find out what I'm reading. It's making me laugh so hard. There you and, go. And, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of uh, people are saying laughter and tears at the same time, which, which is uh, just lovely. There you go. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade, and I'm sure you wouldn't either. I wouldn't trade those, those hospice years that I took care of my, my, uh, my uh, child, uh, my child puppy. Um, I wouldn't trade those for years. And it's so amazing how much we find the richness of life in those moments and the value of it and how important yep. it is. Yeah. Like, like with your puppy, uh, obviously you couldn't have a conversation, but the, the response of the way you, you held your puppy and, mm-hmm. and, and, and whether it was a, a he or she, 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 yeah. I'm sure you made eye contact and, oh, and, yeah. and those, those are the, like, uh, yeah, near the end. I mean, even when my uh, a mom was doing fine, she would, um, There'd be a time where you get really angry or something, and you, you you're not <laughs> sure. I I I went through a chapter. So why am I doing or why are you doing this? Was her question, uh-huh. and then I had to start thinking. Why am I doing this? What what what? This is insane. I, I'm not. A, I didn't want to be a parent. Now I'm a parent. Why why am I doing this? And then you, you know, then she would. You'd look at her and she'd smile. Mm-hmm. Or she would give you a witty comeback to a joke or something. Or or then she, she loved kisses, so she would pucker up for a kiss, and you're just going. Okay, so that's why I'm doing this yeah. for those, those special little moments that you don't expect. And that was all the reward or payback you needed. Uh, right. it, it, it was very rewarding. And, and, uh, and yeah, I wouldn't have I traded those moments uh, for the yeah. world. And that's why I wanted to record it for other family members who, who yeah. miss those things. And it's a great example being set, too, because, you know, we, we kind of have this 
mentality or this culture in this world that we throw away old people uh, when you're old. They've already thrown me away. I'm only 55. They're like, yeah, we don't care anything about what you have to say anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, Matthew Fulton, thanks for calling him, Matthew. The aging of my parents makes me want to be close to them every day. I do not want to only see them three times a year for the next five years. You know, you uh, for those of you who've lost people, um, you, you, you don't know what you have until it's gone. And sometimes there are, there are things that are unresolved throughout your life that, you know, you need to sit down with my father. I knew the time was coming cause he was having a lot of problems with strokes. And I mean, I was on a zoom call with him once in Vegas and, and he had a stroke right in front of me. In fact, I was the one screaming through the zoom to, 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 to the background to, to get him taken care of. Um, but, you know, I sat down with him, and we had a contentious relationship as a father and a son. Um, we didn't always get along. I think it was until 30 when he finally told me he was proud of me. We we had a lot of battles. Um, and so I took the time. I realized I had the foresight to realize that that I needed to clear all the decks before he left. Yeah. And make sure that we squared up even. And... Uh, and so I did that, and I sat down with him. And sadly, it was a little too late because he was uh, really starting to kick in the dementia. So sometimes we'd have the same conversations every day. But we squared all the decks, and I asked him, you know, is there anything unresolved with you that we need to square out? And uh, he said, nope. And uh, I said, I think, you know, we talked about some of the things we did, and, and I apologize for a few things I did, and I think he might have done the same. And uh, But just clearing those decks, cleaning that, psychological thing out so that he could pass um or if i pass before him you know there was nothing left where we're like god i wish i would have had that conversation yeah. god i wish i would have said this those are those are really really important because i have uh i heard from a friend recently again someone i knew from high school and she says she can't read the book because her mother died mm -hmm. over 20 years ago and she didn't wow. get to say goodbye wow. so she's not ready and i'm like wow. It's time to forgive yourself, first of all. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's a shame because I think, again, with the, the relationship I had with both of my parents, uh, I had those conversations early on. Um, yeah. And I wrote about them, too. And uh, I let my dad read a monologue that I wrote that was not very pleasant. Um, and I took a chance because, again, he was a very shy guy, but he, had, he didn't have a very good relationship with my younger sister. Mm. And my younger sister was my best friend. And, and I said, you're missing out. This kid is great. And I don't know what you're doing. So the monologue was, uh, was uh, about that. Mm -hmm. And I let him read it. And uh, he was just dead quiet after. And I said, oh, crap, what have I done? <laughs> and then he opened up. And this guy, really? we talked about everything from his wow. meeting my mother to uh -huh. the honeymoon to Every, everything in this, uh, it was amazing. It was like we, we became like friends at that point. And uh, it, it, was, it was just beautiful. And even at one point um, when he had difficulty in the, you know, my parents had the typical Catholic marriage, maybe not typical, but it was a lot of tension in the house. But they, mm -hmm. till death till they part. And um, so he had some things going on with mom. And so I, I took him aside one time and I gave him the sex talk. With me coaching him, 
I, I said, hey, will you, you know, I opened up, and I, he, he opened up because I didn't know, I don't know what kid talked, but I, this is the kind of kid I guess I was. And so mm -hmm. uh, he was okay with it, but I, I just asked, I said, do you, you know, were you a kind and giving lover to mm -hmm. mom? And we had that, dis I won't disclose the answer, but um, uh, it, it was good. And I had similar talks with my mom, which I guess normal people don't, but I was curious. And, and, uh, again, like you said, uh, nothing was left off the table. And mm -hmm. it, I think some of the revelations in the book may shock, uh, my brothers and sisters, but, uh -oh. um, I have that in the acknowledgement saying, you know, I know that I may have gone too far, but these, these were important lessons. I think that, uh, again, uh, have those, dis don't wait for these discussions. Yeah. And these are really honest. Uncomfortable. You can't force yeah. somebody. These are honest human moments, and yeah. we're humans. I mean, and, and, and someone is passing away. Uh, you know, one of my other dogs that passed away. I, I didn't. I didn't talk a lot about my private life on social media, but I had a huge following. I was like four hundred thousand people on Twitter, and you know all the things that we have now, and um, and so there, I kept a little bit of PR. But one night, uh, my oldest first child dog died of a seizure within a half an hour. And so I didn't get to say goodbye. It was just gone. It was over. And, um, and it, it crushed me because I didn't get to say goodbye. Um, and I poured out this, this whole Facebook post uh, with half a bottle of vodka in me. I was pretty much trying to drink myself to death. And I just poured out my soul onto the page. And I sat there for a half an hour drinking going, I really don't want to share this with anybody. I don't. This is... This is too private. This is too personal. I, too much feeling. I don't want to share this. No one's going to give a fuck anyway. Um, they're just going to be like, uh, it's just going to be embarrassing. And so fortunately, I guess I had down enough vodka and I was tired and ready for bed. And I pressed send. And I didn't know the impact of what I did and probably the impact that you're going to have with your book as well. Uh, I didn't realize that by sharing my pain, by telling my story, that there were other people who needed healing, who hadn't, you know, people wrote me the next morning and then over the next coming weeks, they're like, yeah, your story, seeing, experiencing you go through the pain of what you went through, realize that I didn't get closure with my dad, or I didn't get closure with my mom or my grandma or yeah. my, my dog. They're like, you, you helped me get closure finally. You helped me seal that wound. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, this really helped other people? I thought this was the most selfish moment that I could ever do. And yeah. so that's the beauty of a book like yours. It's going to inspire. It's going to help so many people and reach and touch them with their own personal lives as well. Yeah. yeah. I hope. It's, it will. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. That's the beautiful have, part about stories. Yeah. So I have like, a baseball story if you want to talk about. Sure, let's do it. So my dad and I, and, and uh, my mom and I, I guess, never had really a falling out. But my dad and I did. He was a baseball coach. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I was the youngest of the three sons, and I hated practicing. Uh, I didn't want to deal with the fundamentals and all that. So I just wanted to get to the fun stuff or play the game. And um, so that was a, a big issue, and there's a big chapter in the book inside because I liked uh, – uh, I was uh, the three of us were left-handers, uh, my brothers and I. So I, mm -hmm. I would play, let's say, in right field, and rarely did anybody hit in right field that, unless they were a left-hander. So I'd sit out there, and and so no nothing was going on. So I would take a stick and draw in the dirt mm -hmm. pictures. And so the chapter is called "Is that your Picasso in the outfield?" Oh. Because uh, my my dad is, he would come to a game and see his kid. 
the coach's son, not on his team. I never made his team, by the way. I wasn't good enough. Uh, he would, uh, you know, he didn't want to hear that question. Oh, is that your Picasso, Mr. Coach, in the outfield? Um, but he, uh, one day he showed up and our umpire didn't. And nobody knew he was my dad because he was, I think, embarrassed and he never told people. And whenever he showed wow. up, I always, made, I always made an error. So he was off in the background. And then, wow. so somebody said, we need an umpire. So he became the umpire. Mm -hmm. And he called me out on strikes on the game-winning <laughs> time at the plate. <laughs> and, and I was uh, uh, maybe 10 or 11, and mm -hmm. it killed me because it was not a strike. Oh. He, called, he called me out, and we never talked about oh. it. Until 23 years later, I wow. wrote him for his uh, 75th birthday. I didn't know what to get him. He was a difficult guy to buy something for because um, he, 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 he was fine with shoes older than me and pants the same age. So I sent him 75 memories for his 75th birthday, wow. just a list of memories. That's cool. And one of them was this baseball. They weren't all happy. They were good, as he called them. Some were pithy. You were clearing but, the decks. Yeah. But basically, yeah, <laughs> way ahead of time. So, um, uh, I, I, and again, I had no idea what the impact would be. And this was, mm -hmm. again, a very good, quiet, closed man, uh, kept his emotions uh, close to the chest. And I found out through my siblings that this thing just touched him. And, and, wow. he, and he, he wrote me back. That was his favorite thing. He, he would type write letters. And he wrote back and he said, um, I remember that incident very clearly. Wow. The ball was high and outside, probably not a strike. But I always taught you to never go down without swinging. Hmm. And he said, I've regretted that, that call for 20. You both carried it. 23 years. You both carried it. Yeah. Wow. That and is. That, that was, I mean, that, that just obviously floored me. So I, I called him right up and said, hey, listen, I don't, I don't regret. I'm glad that we're talking about it. But I said that incident as, as along with the other 74 shaped us in our relationship. Yeah. So I don't regret any of them. There you but go. I, I appreciate his, his honesty, but I mean, is it, that's amazing. 23 years. We both held on to this thing. That is awesome. Uh, our fan base loves it. You nailed it. When we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, it helps others and people like your 75 memories thing. Uh, Adam Husky uh, coming into the show. I tried to see mine at least two times a month. It's hard because they drive a long haul. Yeah, it's it's tough when they're down the road. But as you mentioned, it's never you never know when it's time. You yeah. know, I remember someone told me when I was young, uh, and my dad was my age at the time, working for me, and it was one of my employees, and he was older, and I think he was almost retirement age. He said, Chris, you're going to go through two periods of your life. There's a period of your life where you go to a lot of weddings, and there's a time where you go to a lot of funerals. Yep. And I remember feeling the crossover where I'm like, yeah, we're not going to weddings so much anymore. We're going to a lot of funerals yep. and people start passing away around you. And, you know, you've got to realize that that time is so precious. Um, I remember calling my uncle Randy after my dad passed and there were stories my dad wouldn't tell us about his life. He was a bit of a PR agent. He was a narcissist. So <laughs> there, there in lies some of our issues, but, uh, so I, my uh, uncle was on his deathbed. He, they, he only had like half of, his, half of his heart working. And they just told him, go home, live your life. You're going to go soon. That's it. Um, and so I called him up and I said, hey, you know, tell me the stories about what it was like with my dad growing up and 
you know, the whole family history. And so he calls me one night at like 11 o'clock. And I'm like, shouldn't you be sleeping? Because, you know, you need rest. And for four hours, he told me like all the stories that my dad had never told us. And I don't know, maybe my dad didn't think they were important. But he like bled it out like a historian. Till like four in the morning or three in the morning or something. And I kept saying to him, like, you need to go to bed. I don't want to kill you. And, uh, but spending these moments with people and, uh, reconciling the history and everything else. I mean, it's just so inspiring and beautiful and more people need to do it because by the time you, you know, we get busy with our lives and, you know, my mom's retired. I'm not. So, you know, I, I gotta make a buck during the day. Um, and, uh, uh, but spending time with them and, and uh, you know, reconciling these moments, closing out life so that when they're gone, you you can say, hey, we we talked about everything we need to do and yep. we closed all the business and wiped all the decks and everyone can be at peace and love and harmony in the end. Yeah. There you go. Don't wait. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of times you go, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the funeral. And you go, "That's no, that's too late. Yeah, that's not the time to Make do it. Make a phone call, write the letter, do do mm -hmm. something because, uh, yeah, it, it yeah it it's it and it that it may even be selfish, but if it's for you, that's great. But you you have no idea like you when you uh, uh, bared your soul, you have no yeah. idea the effect it's going to have on other people. Yeah. Or or the story with your father with the with the with the baseball story. Yeah. I mean, you both Don't carry that for all years. those years. <laughs> Don't wait I knew long. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, at least he was great about it, and yeah. uh, and uh, and and all that good stuff. So yeah. you've given a great example and set a beautiful memoir for your mom and your family's history uh, that I'm sure will inspire and motivate others. And uh, one PSA I would always say is: if you're a caretaker, get help. Read a book. Get a psychiatrist. Get get you know take care of yourself because one of the yep. problems is as a caretaker you spend so much time helping someone else that you don't take care of yourself mm -hmm. and you can't help other people if you grind yourself down and yep. and uh so all that good stuff uh final thoughts as we go out uh and plug for the book and coms mark final thoughts okay so i think um uh my main thing with this, uh, even though with the stress and all this other stuff and knowing that your, your, your mother is not going to be around forever, mm -hmm. um, I, uh, it, it, it's kind of like my motto. I look for the joy. Um, so I tell people, find the joy. So no matter what the circumstances is, I look for any positive thing in it. So even in those most stressful days, I would find something um, that, that, that helped me push forward. Uh, whether it was a smile from mom or uh, a grandchild coming back to the house because the house was now a loving uh, a home, welcoming home once again. And uh, um, so I think, uh, again, find, find the joy. It, it's helped me, and, and it certainly it helps me every day anyway, no matter what the situation is. There so, you go. There you go. And the memories that you have are just bricks of gold. They're yep. Just the, the, no one can replace those or take them from you. And then hopefully, you know, uh, a, a, we all get to pass away in that sort of respectful, sort of honorable way. Uh, thank you very much, Mark, for coming on the show. Uh, a heart-touching story and beautiful story and laughter as well. 
Yep. So these are the joys of being human. Uh, uh, give us your .com. I think you. I think I asked for it. I wasn't sure if you gave it there at the end. Well, uh, if, if you just Google a cup of tea on the commode, the, the website is a cup of tea on the commode.org. A uh, cup of tea on the commode. If you Google that, you'll see everything. So there's the Facebook, the LinkedIn, the TikTok, the Pinterest, Instagram, uh, Tumblr. Uh, we're all over the place. And the book is on Amazon. It's on a lot of online retailers, but the most popular one, of course, is Amazon. And it's at $3.15 off at Amazon currently. Oh, so there you go. Great deal. For the paperback, it comes in paperback, ebook, and also large print paperback ah. because my a lot of my audience are baby boomers and stuff so they're trying to help out and I'll i'm be, gen x i'm there now yeah well it, there you go get that one <laughs> it's like 450 pages it, it's a bargain oh wow. and then i'll be doing the audiobook um uh hopefully by holiday time that'll be out there you go a cup of tea on the commode oh i was gonna ask you what does that mean the meaning of that okay word? so my um uh sometime uh, mother nature uh took its time when i got mom on the commode uh several times oh, a day okay. and uh to make it more pleasant one day i asked her if she wanted uh her favorite beverage which was a cup of tea skim mm -hmm. milk no sugar mm -hmm. and it became a hit and uh so that was the cup of tea in the commode Cup of tea on the commode. I love it. My multitasking adventures for, of caring for mom and how I survived and tell the tale. Uh, out May 14th, 2023. Uh, thanks, Mountains, for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Chris YouTube.com, Chris LinkedIn.com, Chris and Chris Foss1 on TikTok. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.